Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by a very special guest, a seasoned veteran and a man I've met once in person, but have known of and followed for years. He's an old timer, a man who's been around the block, but is still in phenomenal physical shape, extremely sharp and very active in various business circles. Can you guess who he is? Let me give you some hints. He's the man behind Blue Blocker sunglasses with more than 20 million pairs sold in his career. He was the man to revolutionize the business world by being the first to even think about taking credit card orders over the phone back in 1973. He's one of the founding businessmen and marketers who gave us now mainstream products such as the pocket calculator, the digital watch, cordless phones, computers, and a variety of other electronic items. He was also the first man ever to do multi-day high-ticket marketing seminars, which at the time were $2,000 back when that was some serious money, and he filled 20 of them. If you can't guess who this is yet, maybe you'll recognize the name of some of his must-read classic books. In fact, I'm looking at two of them, um, such as Success Forces, The Adweek Copywriting Manual, Marketing Secrets of a Mail Order Maverick, Television Secrets for Marketing Success, My Personal Favorite, Triggers, 30 Sales Tools You Can Use to Control the Mind of Your Prospect to Influence, Motivate, and Persuade, and of course, his most recent book, The Seven Forces of Success. If you haven't guessed yet, the man I'm talking about is none other than Joseph Sugarman. That's right. The same Joe selected as the Direct Marketing Man of the Year in New York back in 1979. The same Joe Sugarman who won the prestigious Maxwell Sackheim Award for his creative career contributions to direct marketing back in 1991. And today he is here to share with you his secrets and time-tested and proven methods for getting ahead in your business career. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing, my friend? Well, very good. Thanks for the great introduction. Yeah, well, you've earned it. It's thanks for being that awesome. That's cool. It's really great to be able to, uh, you know, share my day and share my space with someone who's accomplished so much and come so far and really inspired and influenced others. So, um, but I'm not trying to blow a bunch of hot air up your butt, you know. But um, legitimately, I mean, and it was just very visible. You may probably don't remember because it was I'm one of like thousands. But at uh, the Titans of Direct Response event, that's where I got to meet you in person, and just the respect you were given and just you know everyone when you weren't there the words they said about you like not a lot of well, I shouldn't say that but not everyone can claim you know that's gone to, to the highest heights of success and business and that can claim like that that ability to walk into a room and have like tens and hundreds of people just show that much respect and just be able to go that man's book helped influence my business career and changed my life so it's very much an honor and a pleasure and people forget that they're always focused on the new what's new who's hot you right? all that stuff and they forget um, but well, some forget, but no one forgets the people that have helped them. So, um, anyways, Joe, thanks again. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, if you've lived long enough, uh, all these things happen. You know, you, you've got enough time to accomplish a lot. 
Uh, but, you know, when I give a speech, I always get up in front of the audience and I say, you know, there's a spiritual principle that says when you focus on something, it expands. So if you focus on, oh, your business, what happens? And the audience responds, oh, it expands, mm -hmm. grows. I said, and if you focus on good health, what happens? And people will say, oh, you stay healthy. And I said, that's right. And if you focus on money, what happens? And everybody says, oh, you make a lot of it. And I said, no, no, no. Money is a <laughs> Money is a symbol. It's a symbol for work and effort. And the more you focus on money, the more work and the more effort there is. He says, if you want to make a, I said, if you want to make a lot of money, what you focus on is helping others, helping others. And you can do that in so many different ways. You can do that by inspiring people from a book that you wrote. You can do that by providing a really great product. You can do that by, oh, a number of different, things, uh, different ways. So, um, uh, the, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, helping others is really where it's at. And I've devoted my entire lifetime to helping others through a lot of different venues. Mm. Yeah, no, you definitely have. But were you always like that? Is that how you were like raised? Is that something that you had to learn? Did you come from a very entrepreneurial family? How did you even get started in business? Well, that's a good question. I actually, when I got started, I was about eight years old. I was eight years old. Wow. And my next door neighbor uh, had a uh, had a little boy, and he was eight years old. But he would read Shakespeare, and he, he would be reading uh, all kinds of really interesting books, and and I would be reading comic books. And my parents would always say, "Why can't you be like Gene next door? Why can't you be? Why can't you be reading real books instead of comic books?" And so I grew up feeling a little stupid. You know, I, I didn't I was that smart because this guy Gene next door was so smart. And so I, I always felt I had to try harder. And that's uh, trying harder was was um, gee whiz. That was a, um, a very, uh, <clears throat> a very good, a big challenge. And it was my the challenge my whole life. Until I finally, one year, took a IQ test and discovered I was pretty smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure all that hard work paid off. Yeah, but the first uh, experience I had was in writing anyway. That's been my very uh, most powerful asset is my ability to write. Mm. And by the way, the, the, the way you learn to that ability is you write a lot. The more you write, the better you get at it. And uh, the more you experience life, the better you get at writing. So those two factors are really important when you want to learn how to, to write. And writing is the most important skill you could have. I've started several businesses just through the power of my pen. That's but anyway, to answer your question, uh, it really all started when I was in, I think it was fifth or sixth grade. And the teacher gave us all an assignment to write a composition and then read it to the class. And I, I wrote something that I was kind of critical of the teacher, and I read it to the class. The class just burst out laughing. They were loving it. They, they thanked me afterwards. The teacher didn't like it, but everybody else liked it. And I said, wow, that was fun. I, wanna, I, I love writing. I want to continue doing that. And so through the rest of high school, I would write, and I'd, um, I just loved that. And so I kept doing that. And, um, again, uh, you're, the, the best way to, to become a writer is 
to experience as much of life as you can and write as much as you can. And those two factors really play a role in becoming a good copywriter. Can now, I know that you probably really piqued some people's interest listening to this call. So you may or may not know, but this is a podcast with the mission to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? Because you do better when you know better. And so for some people to say that, wait, you started a successful business with your pen? Like some of these people listening might, right? They might be deep in the grind. They might be up to their elbows and or their eyeballs and employee issues. So can you just expand a little bit on how do you start a business just with a pen? Well, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, I believe that, <clears throat> well, uh, how do you start a business with just a pen? Mm -hmm. Well, I look at every, first of all, I look at every problem in my life as an opportunity so huge that it dwarfs the problem. Mm. So, and so uh, that's what happened with Blue Blocker. Uh, I had a problem. I was doing a 12-page insert for United Airlines, and one of the products in, in the 12 pages, uh, the company went bankrupt, and I, I, I had to find a replacement. Well, I remember spending some time with a friend of mine in Los Angeles, driving down the 405. It was a bright, sunny day. I was squinting. He handed me a pair of sunglasses. Uh, I put them on, and I stopped squinting, and everything seemed clearer and sharper. And I said, well, these are terrific. What are they? And he says, oh, these are, these are made for NASA. You, you don't want to get involved in this. They were made for NASA. They're very expensive. A friend of mine was making them for NASA, but he's going out of business. So it's not something I, I would suggest you get. Hmm. So, okay. So anyway, when I got back to Chicago, which is my home base, I, um, I boarded an airplane and I took the uh, results of the, uh, oh, by the way, when I got back, I decided I would, uh, uh, I was really in trouble. So I, I called, I called my friend. I said, send me a pair of them. I'll uh, come up with a name like Blue Blocker uh, because they block the blue light. And I'll run them as an ad in uh, in uh, this insert. And I have a, I have a couple months to, to, to source the product, but I have to get this thing in within a couple days. So I had a problem, and the opportunity came to offer this pair of sunglasses. And I did, and it was the best-selling pair in the entire promotion. Uh, that, and I said, wow, this is, this is very exciting. And so I took, took the pair, and I, I wrote a print ad, and I sold, listen to this, I sold... 100,000 pair within about six to eight months, just strictly from print. And then they started coming out with infomercials. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do an infomercial on this. And everybody thought I was nuts. I said, how could you do a half hour, how could you do a half hour on a pair of sunglasses? You can go to the store and buy them for cheap. And I said, well, I said, I'm, I, I believe I can do it. And so I did. And it became a huge hit. Instead of selling 100,000 over six or eight months, I was selling 300,000 every month. That's it was awesome. a success. Well, here was an example of a problem. I looked at it, and I said, now, where's the opportunity? And it's also another example of going along and do, doing what you think you should be doing. And all of a sudden, an opportunity comes along that's 90 degrees from what you were doing. That's usually an indication that that's where your big success is going to come. Uh, I've, I've seen that many times happen to me and also happen to others. When, when you're going along and everything seems to be going right, but then all of a sudden something comes up and interrupts. See, I was in electronics. I was in digital watches. I was in, we introduced the first pocket calculator. I was in electronics. I wasn't in sunglasses. Opportunity came along. 
took me 90 degrees away from what I was doing. It was so successful that that is where I made my fortune, and that's where I made my living. Mm. And um, uh, I, I started to focus on that. I, I dropped all my electronics, mm. and I focused on sunglasses, and that was a huge success. Mm, mm, mm. And so that's an example of a business that you launched with your pen, and that was through writing the ad to sell it. And that's that ad, I guess was proof enough of concept that you just started rolling out more ads and more different publications and scaling your fulfillment team. Is that kind of correct? Pretty pretty close, yeah. Okay. Now, is that a good model people should follow and trying to get well, an ad that converts and sells well? or? Well, let me put it this way. You're probably talking to the biggest loser <laughs> ever in terms of success. I mean, I have failed more times than you could possibly imagine. But it was from all these failures that I learned things. And usually one out of ten would succeed, and there, and that one out of ten would be a huge success and cover the, the losses that I had mm -hmm. in the previous one. So I guess the point is, don't be afraid to fail. Mm -hmm. uh, I've always believed, well, I'll tell you a little story about my, my cousin who happens to be a psychiatrist, and he was hired by the San Diego Chargers to uh, determine what it took to become a superstar. Hmm. Studied not only the San Diego team, but he studied all the other teams in the, uh, in the league and came up with the conclusion that there were two types of success uh, superstars. One was somebody who, who uh, was deeply religious, and the other one was somebody who had a huge ego. Those are the two superstars. Well, what do they have in common? Well, what they had in common was they had this deep belief. They believed in something. One believed in a spiritual higher power. The other believed in themselves. And so that's, that's really uh, my background in the sense that I really believed that I was going to be a big success. So when these failures came along, I'd look at them and I'd say, ah, you know, it's just another example of uh, a failure. I'm going to be, still be successful. It was a good experience, and I'm going to move on. Mm. And so I got attached to any outcome. I always was in there fighting and getting, doing the best I can without fear of failure, and that's the key. That is such a huge drop of wisdom there because something that could even be expanded on is just you said you were always in there fighting. You were in it for the fight. You know, I think, I mean, even now, like you, you don't need to be doing this interview, but you're still kind of out there doing what you always did. So it was almost like a love for the journey and the love for the process. And I think that for some of the people listening to the call, they might be at different stages in this business, their business career. Some of them might be in a place of scarcity or of fear because of whatever's going on. But it can be tough to, like you said, it can be tough to walk through those moments. But you have to understand that your life isn't, it's not a week, it's not a month, it's not even six months, it's not even a year. Your life is so many hours, so many days, weeks, months, and years stacked on top of each other that it sounds like for you that you, this is who you were. And just failure was just part of like feeding the fire of becoming the man you wanted to become. Um, and no, moving never, through it. Never attached to any outcome. I think a really good example was a speech that um, uh, that was given in a little town called Fulton, Missouri. Fulton, Missouri. There was a college there, and they were sitting around. The, the management of the college and the, the the president and all the important bigwigs were sitting around a conference room table, trying to determine who they should invite to give the commencement address for their college. 
And somebody piped up, and everybody laughed. Somebody piped up and said, how about Winston Churchill? Well, at that time, Winston Churchill was an elder statesman and fairly old. Hmm. And uh, they all laughed at him, and they said, yeah, sure. So he says, well, I'll write him, and I'll see if it's possible. So he did. He wrote him, and Winston Churchill accepted. And it was a shock. They all thought it was a forgery or something, but no, it was him. And so they confirmed it, and they made arrangement arrangements in the town of Fulton, Missouri, to uh, accept this guy, you know, accept the Winston Churchill and, and give him a motorcade and a big audience. And, and so anyway, he arrives, he gets to the auditorium where all those bright, shiny faces of all the students are, and he stand, he get, it's the president of the, or the mayor of the town gets up and he says how thrilled that Winston Churchill was visiting because this is the most important, most the biggest celebrity they've ever, ever entertained in this little town of, our, of theirs. And then the college president got up and he introduced uh, all the benefits and all those accomplishments Winston Churchill had. And then it came Winston Churchill's time to speak. And he kind of ambled up to the speaker's uh, microphone and, and uh, looked out at the audience. And he says, never give up. Never give up. Never, never, never give up. And then he sat down. And that was the commencement address. And that was his words of wisdom. And so that's been, always been my, my, my uh, philosophy as well. Just never give up. That is awesome. That is very powerful. Very, very powerful. So what were the, some of the moments in your business career? What were some of the big challenges where you may have considered giving up or that might have made you, you know, you might not have entertained it realistically, but what were some of the big things that hit you where it might have even been something that popped in your head? Well, there was one time I remember we, we were given, well, there were a lot of examples. Uh, <laughs> there, uh, there's the story of the Batman credit card. Okay. Oh, I think I've heard. Yeah, keep going. Get it. This is good. Well, 1966, Batman came out on television, and it was such a big hit that uh, everything that had Batman on it sold like crazy. It, it became the, uh, such a fad. That same year, 1966, all the credit cards came out, and they were being sent to anybody who had a checking account at a bank received a credit card. And back then, they weren't called uh, Master Charge, MasterCard. There was Master Charge, and it wasn't called uh, uh, Visa. It was called Bank AmeriCard, and I mean, it was all in the very beginning stages of both. And both became fads. People were talking about this plastic money and all this kind of stuff. Well, I had this little ad agency that I ran, and I it was just me and maybe a secretary, and I called up. The Licensing Corporation of America, the people that license the rights to Batman. And I said, I've got this great idea, and I'd like to come to New York and present it to you and get a license so I can go ahead and produce it. And they said, well, what is it? You tell us, because otherwise I'm not going to waste my time And because we've just about licensed everything. We just licensed Batman peanut butter. <laughs> I said, well, I said, my idea... My idea was the, is the Batman credit card, and there was like silence, like he was looking through his list. He says, "Well, what's the what's the idea?" He says, "Well, it's very simple. We sell a million of these cards for a dollar a piece, embossed with people's names, given special numbers, and then after we do that, 
we then come out with a Batman catalog, and, and actually a catalog of all the superheroes, and uh, we build this huge list and, and this huge response. And they got all, he got all excited, this guy Murray, that I talked to on the telephone. He says, come on out to New York, please. And I did. I flew out to New York. I, I, um, I, got, uh, 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 I started explaining my idea to this guy Murray. Murray, halfway through, says, hey, look at stop, stop. Uh, I, I want to introduce you to the president, and I'm going to call a special meeting. So he did. He called a special meeting in the conference room, and I walk in there. And there's all these very stern-faced men, uh, you know, very serious. Uh-huh. And I get up there and I explain my concept. I finish, and uh, the president of, of uh, Licensing Corporation of America stands up, and he says, "Mr. Sugarman, we have gotten all kinds of ideas for months, and we've done very, very well. But your idea is spectacular. We love it. And I just wondered if you'd like to be a partner of ours." And do this together, and I, you know, now here I'm this little agency guy, mm. Batman's appearing on the cover of Time magazine. I mean, uh, this was um, it was huge. This was huge. Yeah, this was absolutely huge. So um, I, I said, yeah, yeah. Well, how many should I print up to start with? And he says, well, why don't you print a quarter of a million? I said, okay. And I said, what about the license? I need, to, you know, I got to have a license before I said, oh, don't worry about that. We'll get it out to you within the week. So I said, oh, okay. So I go back and I go to the biggest credit card printer in Chicago and I get them to print me these cards. Uh, actually create the plate and get me these cards um, within like 10 days. I had, in order to do that, though, I had to get ahead of everybody else that was waiting in line to have their credit cards printed. Uh-huh. And one of them was the First National Bank of Chicago. And um, as a result of that, <clears throat> I uh, got in front of them, and they wanted to handle my uh, receipts. In other words, if people would send in the dollar. They'd receive it. They'd uh, um, then enter it into their computer. And then they turned the computer over to a card embosser who would then emboss the cards. And then I turned it over to a mailer. And I had this all organized. It was all together. It was, And it happened so quickly because I convinced everybody that it was a fad and that they better take advantage of it. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. uh, I, I'm waiting for the contract and nothing comes in. And I give, the, I give them a call and... Murray doesn't answer the phone. He's busy, and I, I tell it's urgent that I talk to him. And uh, meanwhile, they're delivering a quarter of a million Batman credit cards to my office because I didn't want to send it to the mailer yet or the embosser yet until I got the contract. Right. Well, I don't know if you know what a quarter of a million Batman credit cards looks like, but it took up my entire office and some space. <sighs> anyway, I finally, finally. Uh, I finally could could not reach Murray. I could not reach them. So I just hopped on a plane and flew to New York, waited in the conference room, and everybody, uh, you know, I, this was a real exciting time. I mean, video cameras were going in and out of the conference. It was just really busy. I mean, it was just exciting time to be in New York and be at, the, at these headquarters. Well, finally, Murray steps out into the lobby looking very sheepish. I go with him into his office. He's, Joe, I don't know how to tell you this, but the president of National Periodical Publications, they are the ones that own the rights to Batman. We're the licensing corporation of America. We just license. Well, anyway, he doesn't like the idea, and we can't license it. I says, but I have a quarter of a million Batman credit cards. 
And he says, well, I'm sorry. But I said, well, I, I want to meet him. They told me I couldn't have credit cards for months, and I got him within a week. I said, let me talk to this gentleman. So they arranged a meeting in the afternoon. I went over to his office. <clears throat> I sat in a chair across from him, and he buzzes his intercom. This is in the days when they had intercoms. He buzzes his intercom, and he says, Marie, would you get me a cigar? And Marie walks in and opens up a box that's at the other end of his desk and opens up and unwraps this cigar, lights it, and gives it to him. I mean, just to show you what kind of guy this is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, so um, he said, okay, kid, what you got? And I was a young guy at the time. I was, uh, oh, I, she was uh, in my 20s anyway. Uh, I said, well, I said, and I told him the whole story, and I told him the potential, and I told him, what I did and how I followed, and I, I invested all this money into this product. And anyway, he he says, "You finished, kid?" And I said, "Yeah." He says, "Well, I don't like your idea, and I want to tell you something else. I don't like it at all. And if you'd go ahead and you try to promote that, I'm going to sue your ass. Now get out of here, and you better not touch that product, okay?" Whoa. And I left, and I was I was heartbroken. I mean, I thought I was on the way to making a million dollars. I thought my idea was spectacular. And I left, literally brokenhearted, with quarter of a million. And I owed everybody. Uh -huh. I, owed the, I owed the plate maker. I owed the printer. I owed the... So I called each one of them up, and I told them what happened. And I said, look it, I will pay you $100 every month, regardless just so I can, but I, because I can't pay you the full amount now, but every month you can expect a check for $100 until I'm paid in full. And uh, they all accepted it. They all felt really bad for me. And uh, so uh, in a couple of years went by, and sure enough, I had paid everybody off. And I still had a quarter of a million credit cards. I called, I called the licensing group. I said, anything new? Is it possible? And they said, well, yeah, we. The president of National Periodical Publications that loved your idea, he's uh, he still he still loves your idea, but he's now going to be the new president of licensing of National Periodical Publications. Maybe there's a chance. Okay. Well, Murray calls me back in a couple of days. Now he's too new in the job. Doesn't want to upset the old man. And anyway, long story short, this kept going on month or year after year after year, and after finally twelve years. I got finally permission to offer the card, and I this time it was five dollars for the card. Batman was dead; he was no longer on television. <laughs> so I ran the ad in the southwestern edition of the Wall Street Journal, which was a small edition, so it wasn't big risk. And I, I showed the ad to my staff, and they all said, "Wow, that, you should be able to sell." Uh, thousands of them uh, and everybody was all excited about it we tested the ad again in the southwestern edition and we sold a total a total of six <laughs> oh ouch it was a complete failure wow it was a complete absolute failure it was certainly the wrong timing yeah so, uh, that was 12 years after I came up with that stupid idea but anyway <laughs> Uh, so uh, that kept going on and on and on, and, and um, I still have pretty much a quarter of a million Batman credit cards. One of these days, I'm going to write a book. Well, I did write a book. <laughs> All the seven forces of success and Batman story is in there. Uh, uh, so, uh, 
Did you learn any lessons from it? What did you, what did you learn? How did that shape your future business dealings? Well, you know, it, it really did. It, anything could happen. Anything could happen. Mm. Anything. And you've got to expect that, you know, nothing is, nothing is going to go good. I've had situations where only an act of God could prevent me from succeeding. And on the day I was running this promotion, sure enough, six tornadoes hit the Chicago area and knocked out my promotion. So, wow. indeed, an act of God. Um, uh, the other thing, too, is I've always thought out of the box. There's a, th a theory that if you want to be successful, you learn all of the rules and you follow them one by one. But if you want to be super successful, you learn all of the rules and you break them one by one. And a good example of that was I went to the University of Miami. Uh -huh. I had three and a half years of electrical engineering. I had uh, I was in ROTC, a Reserve Officer Training Corps. I was going to go into the Army as a second lieutenant. I really was fascinated with the military. And I get a draft notice that they wanted to draft me. And I said, well, please give me another semester so I can graduate as an electrical engineer and uh, give me a little, uh, you know, a little bit more time so that uh, I'll be then an officer in the Army. Well, they refused. They said that they just put up, put up the Berlin Wall, and they wanted me there to, to report to basic training. And so that ended my high college, and it ended my desire to be a, a, an officer in the military. And I had to go to Fort Carson, Colorado, where I was one of a couple thousand soldiers that was given a test to determine your intelligence. And I scored among the highest in the class, and I get a notice to appear at the commanding general's office, and I walk in there, and there's the commanding general of the camp, plus two guys in civilian clothes. And I said, well, what's going on? And they said, well, Mr. Sugarman, you scored among the highest in the entire class. It's almost a record. And because of that, you're eligible for military intelligence. You know, that's oxymoron, actually. But anyway... Uh, uh, so I said, oh, really? What does it entail? Well, you got to put in a couple more years. Um, we'll send you to some foreign country. You'll uh, learn the language in that country, and you'll work as an um, intelligence officer. So I said, oh, wow, that sounds interesting. Okay. And, you know, it sounded very James Bondish. And I said, well, yeah, okay, I'll go for it. Well, it was a five-year commitment, I found out. I was three years active and two years um, uh, reserve. But anyway, um, I went to the next place I went to was Fort Holliburd, Maryland. They sent me there because that was the spy school. That's where they taught you how to be a spy and how to, to undercover, you know, spies and all that kind of stuff. And so I, w I went there, and um, just so you can picture this, there was this large washroom. I mean, it was like being in the military. I mean, you had to slept on bank bunk beds. The washroom was huge, and on one side was showers. And the other side were mirrors and sinks so the guys could shave. And in the center of all that, in the middle of dead winter, was a huge fan. And it was on because if it wasn't on, it would fog up the, 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 the shower fog, would fog up the mirrors. So one day, and then taking a shower, it was really tough because it was cold. I mean, it was, you, you didn't really enjoy the shower. So one day I walk over to the fan and I turn it off. And I get back in the shower, and no sooner do I turn it off, somebody goes ahead and turns it back on. Well, I tried this for five or six times, and there's always somebody that was turning it on. 
So I, I you know what I did? I, I went to the office supply store in town and I bought some materials to make a military looking sign. And I, 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 in the middle of the night, I took out these materials and I made a sign and the sign said, uh, and, and I, oh, and I put it right by the fan switch that shut off the fan. And the, the sign said, anybody touching this fan switch, turning it on or off, will be subject to dismissal from the school and subject to uh, uh, military action under Part 406 of the Military Justice Act. And I put that up, and the next morning I go in, I shut off the fan, I take this long shower, everybody's mirrors are getting fogged up. Don't <laughs> dare go and touch that switch. I did that for like three weeks, and no, finally I get called down to the commanding general's office. And he said, Mr. Sugarman, I understand that you have been violating Part 407 of the Military Justice Act. How do you <laughs> And I says, well, sir, I'll be real frank with you. Here's what happened. And I explained the whole situation. And what, halfway through, he's laughing. He says, <laughs> says, Sugarman, we need more people like you. That's fabulous. I'm going to send you. I've got a great place for you. I'm going to send you to Germany. We're going to teach you the language. And we're going to put you right in contact with uh, what's going on there between the Russians and the East Germans and all this kind of stuff. And so that's what they did. They sent me to they sent me to Germany. I, they sent me to Ger school where I learned how to speak fluent German. I still speak it to this day. Hmm. And um, and and so that that was that was my experience in the military. And so it, it shows you that uh, again the, the the philosophy is is if you um, if you uh, if you learn if you want to be successful, you learn all the rules and you follow them one by one. But if you want to be super successful, you learn the rules and you break them one by one. Mm. And that's what I've been doing most of my life is figuring out ways to legally break the rules and be successful. Well, I think that's a really good point because a lot of people like to bring up Elon Musk and how he's done that with all of the businesses he's in. And in other examples, we, how you did that with taking credit card numbers over the phone because apparently at the time that was like unheard of, right? Like now most people would be like, what? And that might seem kind of like simplistic, but I think at the time, like you were, there was a point in time where you kind of felt like you were walking a dangerous line, right? Like this isn't... Well, it, it was illegal. It was totally illegal. You could not take a credit card order, order over the phone uh, because the credit card companies insisted that you have the customer's signature on the order form. And if you took an order on the phone without that customer's signature, they could suspend your rights to sell through uh, the credit card vehicle. So I, you know, but I would get these calls from people. I say, look, Joe, I'm going on a trip. I need that calculator. Uh, I don't have time to send you a signed copy of the order form. But just sign my name and just send it, send it out for me. And I said, sure, I'll be happy to. So I did. I did. I, I, I do that once, twice, three, I kept doing it. And then I realized that after about, oh, four or five months, and nobody ever ripped me off. Hmm. And so then I started in, I put in my order form the words, very small, credit card buyers call toll free. I hired a bunch of order takers and still in the basement of my home. And normally it took about 10 days to determine if you broke even. I broke even before lunch. And it was so exciting. The response was incredible. And so... <clears throat> I kept doing that with different products, and some of my competitors would see that. And I was always friendly with my competitors. 
and uh, they would say they'd call up and they say, Joe, we see what you're doing with those credit cards. Uh, I bet you're getting ripped off. And I said, Oh, you would not believe the ripoff rate. I mean, I, I didn't want to lie to them, but I certainly didn't want them copying me. Right. Uh, and anyway, long story short, I get a call, and it's from the credit card companies, from the uh, actually um, from the uh, watch line people, and. Um, they said, Mr. Sugarman, yeah. I said, we know what you've been doing. And I said, uh-oh. <laughs> I said, why? And they says, well, we've been following your success, and we've seen this dramatic increase in your success, and we realized it's because you're taking credit card orders over the phone. We would like to now allow that, and not only allow it, but we would like to have you featured in the Wall Street Journal in a full-page ad so that we can promote our service. I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And that simple act of taking toll-free numbers, uh, toll-free toll orders over the phone, created a whole generation of catalogs and of fulfillment houses, and of, it really did more for direct marketing than anything else that you could possibly imagine. And it was all because, again, I, I uh, stuck my neck out and then broke broke a few rules and. Look what happened. But I, I think there's a good important point to this. You broke the rules in the best interest of helping others. And that's sure. the thing, yeah. you know, and that's that's something I think it's not just about breaking the rules and doing things illegally to get ahead in the game. Because I know people that have done some crazy stuff to try to get ahead of the game. And, you know, it, in online marketing, they call that white hat or black hat. The black hat and all the bad things that people can do, but it sounds like this. Like, and again, we talked about other examples, and it's always got to be in the best interest of efficiency and producing like a better experience or a better outcome or like a better end result. And I think that that's uh, well, it's just a caveat to attach to that. But with that said, I think it's right. I mean, too many people they get into business, they just are like a me too, and they do what everyone else is doing versus look at a problem that they're trying to solve and just craft a solution for it. So. So now what about some of the things that you're working on that you that you knew would work? I mean now if you were to start a business now, after all the experience you've gone through, would there be certain things that you would look for? Would there be certain things you would do for research? What would you do if you could take what you know and transplant it back into yourself when you were just early on starting out in business? Well, uh, the first thing I always look for is how big is the market? In other words, is it a small market? Is it a large? You know, sunglasses is a huge market. Mm -hmm. You've got older people, younger people. You've got people with a lot of money. You've got people with very little money. It, but it's it's a huge market. And so the first thing I look for is how big is the market? Mm. And if it's big enough, then I take the next step. And what is the next step? Well, I I, I test. I come up with I come up with an ad, and I test that ad in as inexpensively as I. I can now with the internet, you could test at practically no cost. The internet is an incredible testing vehicle, and if you're successful in the internet, you can build a list fairly rapidly. You still, you know, and the other thing is, I would always look at a product and figure out what are the best methods for advertising. Back before the internet, I'd look at it and I'd say, well, okay, is it TV? Is it infomercials? Is it print? Is it direct marketing? Is it direct mail? What is the best way to sell this product? And so that, that that was always a consideration as well. Now with the internet, boy, you have so many options. I mean, you're you, you're combining all the advantages, all the advantages of of uh, of of of, of, of uh, 
of all the principles that I, for, for my whole lifetime, have taught. And the best thing I could say is that if you read my books, I have changed the lives of more people who have read. I mean, people come up to me and, and they say, Joe, I just want you to know you changed my life. You, you literally changed my life. I read your book. I, I got motivated. I went out there and I followed your, your principles and your suggestions. And, of course, they still work today. My, the uh, Seven Forces of Success is my most recent book. You can get that on Amazon.com. And it's um, the subheading is Seven Powerful Ways to Magnify Your Chances of Winning in a Competitive World. And, uh, and it's, it's karmic in a way. It's, it's uh, following certain principles. Uh, so I would, if somebody came to me and asked me what to do, I'd say, hey, look at everything I've ever learned. All the mistakes that I've ever made, all the successes I've ever had, just pick up this book, read it, and you'll you'll be very very successful. Uh, I've also you you mentioned another book of mine which is called Triggers. Uh-huh. It's a great book. Thirty sales tools you could use to control the mind of your prospect to motivate, influence, and persuade. That's another good book. A lot of people have said it really helped them a lot. Uh-huh. One little example of uh, helping others and the influence you could have in helping others, and that happened to me. Uh, it was um, oh, she was it was about ten years ago. Um, I was at a um, um, in Las Vegas where I have a home. I, I was at a uh, convention of some sort, and people got up and spoke, and <clears throat> and then there was a, a kind of a. Uh, mixing where people would kind of talk with each other and I, I didn't feel like doing that because I was tired I, I was finished for the day so I went home climbed into bed and then I got a call from the organizer telling me that I should get back there because this Indian guru who is a big fan of mine it came in town especially to meet me and if I can't get back he won't be able to meet me so I said oh okay I said, uh, it's a little inconvenient, but I will. So I got dressed, went back to the meeting, and I met the Indian guru. And it turns out that um, he was the doctor for a very famous advertising man um, by the name of David Ogilvy. Really? And uh, and he was he treated him in France and in England and. David Ogilvy said to him, "Look at if um, if when, when and if I pass away, when and if I die, I want to leave you all of my books. That's the best gift I can give you." And so this this guru, who was very shy, didn't treat very many people, uh, said, uh, "Okay." And so Ogilvy died. He died in 1999, and he shipped all of, or his estate shipped all of these books to this Dr. Naram was his name from India. And Dr. Naram received the books, and um, uh, one one was very attracted to you. Know, kind of, he he pulled out uh-huh. he all the boxes, but he pulled out this one book called Success Forces, which was a book that I wrote 35 years ago. And he read it, and it inspired him so much that he became one of the most successful healers in India and has a, had a television show that was seen by 50 million people, and he attributes this success to the influence that I had on him. But what he noticed in the book Success Forces 
was that there were a lot of things that were underlined and, and, and highlighted. And so David Ogilvy was also a fan of mine. I never knew that. And Ogilvy influenced millions of people as well. Mm. So here, the simple one, one copy, mm. I think it's one copy of one book written 35 years ago influenced two, two major players, mm. two major people, and changed the course in many ways of people throughout the world. And so you never know what gifts that you can leave people by virtue of helping others by possibly sharing your knowledge through books I love that that is such a that's a really good that's a really good thing for the listeners to listen to about because everyone that's listening to this call regardless of what business you're in you know you're an expert at something you've got a field that you're passionate about that you're pursuing in and some stuff for you when I was in martial arts we used to call it black belt eyes like you forget what it's like to be totally new to something again and if you could just explain your expertise in a book and put it on that is a way that you can live on forever and touch hundreds thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people so I, I fully agree. I mean, your books were fantastic for me. I used to write out some of your sales letters from, I forget the name, but it was one of the advertising, print advertising books. I read the title at the beginning. But I did. I was on this big kick, and Gary Halbert was saying, write out ads too, and I picked out some of yours. Remember, there was like the garbage truck ad, and there was, there was a couple other ones. And I remember writing these out by hand because I was trying to get your style of writing into like my the fibers of my being. And I think that's right. I think that's a... a uh, it's a really, really important thing for people to think about is the legacy you're going to live behind. And I think that kind of comes back around to talking about helping others and even with breaking the rules and how if you chase money, you're just going to attract, well, to use that language, which is kind of buzz language, but to chase money for the sake of money is going to lead you towards a lot of work and effort. But if instead you focus on helping others, and even like you talk about like with, with a book, a book is a leveraged way to help others. A book is a leveraged way to educate others. And so by really focusing on helping others, you're finding just really good uh, shortcuts, I would say, to hitting the maybe the financial goals you have or the notoriety goals you have. But you're doing it through a way that's not only helping other people and it's building, it's building a lasting legacy that's going to live on well beyond your years for other generations. So... That's awesome. So, Joe, what do you do now? Well, I, Blue Blocker Sunglasses were 29 years old. Wow. I've tried a few ventures uh, uh, subsequent to uh, Blue Blockers, uh, none, of which, <laughs> none of which was successful, uh, to be really frank. Um, and so you, you just keep, I just, I enjoy being in business. Uh, I, uh, by the way, if uh, people want to go to our website and, and uh, uh, purchase sunglasses or books or anything, it's, uh, they can go to Blue Blocker, B-L-U, uh, one, no E, B-L-U-B-L-O-C-K-E-R, and they can see some of the styles we have. So I'm basically in that area uh, now, and uh, it's been 29 years, and it's still running strong, still supporting uh, my staff and Many of my staff have been with me for 43 years. Would you believe that? that 43. Awesome. That's well. That speaks volumes. Just about your etiquette, your business etiquette, your style of doing business. If people work for a company and you know they're new every couple of months, that that definitely speaks volumes too. So 
they must have been through you through all those times, and it's probably why they stayed with you because they were part of the journey as well. It sounds like you've tried a handful of things. I mean, uh, Greg Renker said that at the same conference. He was saying about their infomercials that they've got <clears throat> something like 225 profitable infomercials that are out there, and he was saying that they must have created at least 2,000. And of the 225 that they have, 200 of them do one to five million a year. Maybe 10 of them do five to 20 million a year. Um, and then like the la- and like it just gets narrowed down, narrowed down. It's like, and then you get to last. So 10 do five to 10 million. The other one does 10 to maybe 50 million. And then those last five, there's like two, there's three that do something like 100 million to 200 million. And then the last two, they're like 500 million to 750 million. And that's like what you said, almost like what you mentioned, and, you know, was that that's after 20, 30 years of doing infomercials, you know, and it almost sounds like that's what you said. Like, you got your blue blockers, you've done all these things, but that's the one thing that just really just dwarfed everything else. But really, it was being committed and consistent in the purpose and being in the fight, not being afraid of failure, walking through it all, sticking to good values, good good solid business practices, business values, not trying to get rich quick, um, but not turning down opportunities either and not willing and not being afraid to take off more than you can chew. And then I guess it sounds like when you hit something, you quote unquote struck oil, you were all in and you've just built a really deep well into that business. And that's sponsored all your future endeavors. And like you mentioned, it's allowed you to, to maintain and retain your staff that have been with you and loyal to you for 43 years, which is phenomenal. For, for those people, you, you are a huge part of their life. And if they have children, you know, they're putting their kids through college, all that stuff, that's all a part of your efforts, which again, it comes back to helping others and trying to make a noble cause out of, you know, just generating an income. Well, it's funny because the children of this one individual that's been with me 43 years, her name is Mary Stanky, and she has run the operations of the company, something I'm not really that good at, and so I was able to delegate to her, but she also has her children here, and her children have been here for over 20 years. Wow. So, so anyway, uh, yeah, we'll be here. We'll be working uh, a long time. One of the things that I do t- take really good care of is my health. Mm-hmm. I'm very careful about what I eat. Um, uh, a good example of that was when I was in my early 20s. Uh, I, I knew I was addicted to Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> I said, you know what? From now on, I am not going to have another sugary drink for the rest of my life. And I, indeed, I stopped. I never had another drink. And, and then I gave up one thing every year. I gave up alcohol. I gave up coffee. I gave up, um, uh, well, you name it. I mean, I just gave, gave it up. I gave up uh, salad dressing, believe it or not. I gave up pizza. And those things I have not had since my 20s. Now, how old am I now? Uh, boy, let me figure this out. Um, <laughs> I am uh, no, I'm, I'm actually joking. I'm 77, and um, uh, I'm, I do 15 chin-ups every uh, every other day. That's awesome. Uh, I keep in great shape. I eat. I'm very careful what I eat, and uh, uh, I intend to live till about 120. Yeah. Science has moved so quickly during the last. Mm-hmm during the last uh, few years, and, and it will move even quicker over the next 10. That by, in, in about 10 years, we should be able to live to 120. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
with all that we know right now. So, I, I agree. I have a personal goal to live to be 300 because I'm going to be chasing you. I'm 32 right now, so I'm like, that's two, three more lifetimes I've got to live. By the time we get there, you know, medical breakthrough isn't like we added five years of life. Like that's not a medical breakthrough, right? Medical breakthrough is going to be 20 years, 30, 40 years, 50 years, and that goal line is going to keep moving. Well, you're right, and they're getting very close to that with the, with the extension of telomeres and, and cellular uh, survival, and uh, just so many things are happening mm-hmm. in, in health uh, in the health field. I really like to yeah. mention that you give up something every year because every year, you know, people have New Year's resolutions, but nobody ever talks about what they want to quit doing. You know, there's a lot of the talk in the business communities of like never, even you said like never give up, push harder. But some things you do, you need to quit and eliminate, and you know, and that can actually lighten your load and make it easier for you to move forward. So, well, when you think of uh, the fact that I had not had a sugary drink since my early twenties. That alone, I feel, has contributed to my health. Mm-hmm. Like, it, because if you look at all the sugar that's in those drinks, Everything. and all the people that have diabetes and, yep. and type two diabetes, and all the commercials on TV uh, offering various solutions, and <laughs> it's not um, it's not very pleasant. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm just so happy that uh, I had that wisdom at a very early age. Yeah. There's so much sugar in everything. Like you mentioned salad dressing, ketchup. Those are like 90% liquid sugar. There's so much sugar in everything. It's almost like there's a conspiracy to fill us full of sugar to kill us so that we need, we need, we need cancer pills and all sorts of stuff like that. That's a whole another hour to go down that road. But you're right. I think, I think in a lot of ways, Joe, again, you've really done – you know, you've got many years, many, many years left in you. But even 150 years from now. I think that you'll still have left a mark just knowing some of the people that you've influenced and the mark that you've had on their lives. And just, again, just the solid business practices and just being in the fight, being part of the journey and just being there to help people. I mean, it sounds like this probably even like the blue blocker thing you did. You're like, maybe I can help this guy, you know, offload some of these. He's going out of business. Maybe I can make a profit in the meantime, you know, and it was just like a perfect storm. Of oh, just really good intense. It was more than that. Uh, I discovered in the process that uh, blue light, it was very bad for your eyes. Mm. And by blue light and blocking ultraviolet light, well, the public didn't know this. Mm. They didn't know about UV light. They didn't know about blue light. They didn't know any of this. And what we did was, in our advertising, we educated the public. And as a consequence, um, yeah, we did help a lot of people who, uh, for example, macular degeneration uh, one of the ways that, to avoid that is to wear sunglasses that block blue light. Mm. <laughs> so there's <clears throat> there's been a lot of uh, proof for that, and so we we're, we're, we 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 helped educate the public, and we helped by supplying a product that that uh, would help them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Joe. Thank you for sharing so much with us today. Um, so, again, to cite the, the best way to reach out and find you and contact or get in some way in touch with you be to go to Blue Blocker. Is it Blue Blocker or Blue Blockers? Blue Blocker, B-L-U-B-L-O-C-K-E-R. Good. Blueblocker.com. Um, check out that site. Get yourself a pair of those glasses. Go to Amazon and search for Joe Sugarman. J-O-E-S-U-G-A-R-M-A-N. Get any of his books. My personal favorite is Triggers. Um, and I I want to look at, what was the one that I read that had that garbage truck ad? It was the, 
Uh, the admin uh, copywriting manual? Was that it? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it. I've got three or four of your books, um, but I've moved recently, so that half of them are in a box. I've got triggers, and I've got um, their success forces here, and unfortunately, I have to confess that I only read the first chapter. So after hearing what you said <laughs> this weekend, I'm diving in and finishing that book, because the book you don't own, you can't read, So which is why everyone listening needs to go buy at least one of your books, and the book you don't read can't help you, which is why I'm going <laughs> to read success forces. So... <laughs> Um, Joe, thank you for sharing with us today. It's been an honor and a pleasure, and I very much value and appreciate your time and the path that you've blazed for all of us fellow business owners and and marketers that have uh, followed in your trail. And just thank you so much for making the time to do this today and share with us. I know you could be doing 101 other things, um, and so it means a lot to me and the listeners. So just thank you. My pleasure, and nice talking to you. You've reached the end of our interview. Now first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you. Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better. And your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. Uh, You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.